0: Good morning, Calvary. Well, I want to greet the couples watching at home and, of course, here. A happy Valentine's Day. Uh, word of advice, make sure you keep that third party always involved in your marriage. And you know who I'm talking about, right? It's our Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah, what, once again, it's a privilege for me to uh, be here and serve the pulpit. And as you all know, Pastor Julio is still on bereavement leave. And so, I'd like to ask everyone to just please include him and his family in your prayers. Okay? Church, there is a common English word or... Uh, English word, rather, in the dictionary that has pervaded our outlook and way of life since last year up to now. And I'm sure most, if not all of you, will agree with me that the word is uncertainty. All the painful and stressful situations that we've gone through since the pandemic struck somehow opened our eyes to the reality of uncertainty. Now, prior to COVID 19, we seem to have enjoyed a good measure of stability and predictability on our timetables as we made plans. We planned for vacations, we planned for travels, programs, events, strategies, church services, in person meetings, volunteer work, visits to our loved ones, etc. And a good measure of confidence was in us. Because of the likelihood that it will take place. And that's how we used to describe what a normal life is, right? The difference now that we are in a pandemic is our situation is more volatile or fluid than ever. So when our uncertainties are shaken, as believers, we are somehow forced to re-examine our lives, our values, our faith walk we ask ourselves, where is God in all of this? And how should we respond as believers given the situation? We are in a sermon series on the book of Acts, and as we continue from last week's sermon, we've arrived at the passage in uh, chapter 23 where the apostle Paul stirred up so much controversy when he shared his faith about Jesus Christ to the Jewish Sanhedrin. Now, at this point, while the Apostle Paul was in chains, there was a conspiracy uh, by more than 40 zealous Jews to kill Paul. Paul's nephew hears about the plan, and immediately he tells Paul about it. And the commander of the Roman detachment also learns about it. Uh, And then as the story unfolds, we read that the commander provided Paul a safety pass by ordering a detachment of soldiers to escort Paul from Jerusalem all the way to Caesarea so that he can defend this case to Governor Felix. Let me read to you the latter part of our passage today, and it's found in verses 31 to 35. And it reads, so the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. As we look back into all the sermon passages for the last several weeks about the Apostle Paul's missionary journey, there's this overarching theme that we have seen or portrayed how Paul's life went. And it is from one uncertainty to another. You see, if there's one person in the Bible that we can learn a lot from when it comes to uncertainty, I believe it's Paul. So for this sermon, I'd like to share three things with you about uncertainty that I've discovered as I uh, studied the passage. The first one has to do with how should we understand where and who God is in everything that's going on. What does the passage tell us about God? The second point I'd like to share answers the the question, rather, about humans and how they naturally respond to uncertainty. What is it about uncertainty that we struggle with? And then my final point has to do with a call to faith and action as believers. I'd like to challenge you and offer you an answer to the question, what is faith? or better, or more specific, what is biblical faith? And how will that impact my attitude during the pandemic or even beyond that for the rest of my life? So let's dive in. My first point is, uncertainty is God's opportunity. Now, as believers, we profess that God knows the plans He has for us. We know that these plans are good because our God is a good God, right? But as children of God, we do not always understand the overall plan. It's more like a real time experience as we see. And so along the way, we may struggle connecting these experiences to the overall plan, especially when there is so much uncertainty. However, if we look into the biblical accounts, we will discover that uncertainty is actually God's opportunity. His opportunity to reveal himself, his sovereignty, his love, his protection, and his faithfulness. I'm going to talk about God's providence. But before I do that, I want to preface this theological truth by reading the verse that introduces us to the entire sermon passage. And that's verse 11 in Acts 23. It says there, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, if you recall what happened before Jesus spoke these words to Paul, he stood on trial before the Sanhedrin and there was a huge dispute between the Pharisees and the Sadducees that broke out into violence. The commander of the Roman army had to order his soldiers to take out Paul to keep him safe and then confined him in the barracks. Now, let's think about the level of uncertainty that Paul is facing at the moment while he was in chains. While he may be anxious about the possibility of going to something worse after this, Jesus appears to him and encourages him with the assurance that he will likewise be in Rome to testify about his faith. Well, guess what? Jesus was telling Paul something that is going to happen at least three years in advance. If you read the succeeding chapters after our passage, you will see how Paul was delivered from one uncertainty to another. It includes staying two more years in Caesarea, as we've read, where he went through on trial again, and then on his way to Rome, it includes a shipwreck. Now here's what I'm trying to drive at. When God declares a plan for his children, we can count on his providence for the realization of those plans. Uncertainties that come along the way is God's opportunity to reveal his sovereignty and his faithfulness, his providence, so that he alone may be glorified. The English word providence comes from the Latin providentia, and the term also corresponds to the Greek pronoia. Literally, it means foresight. Now, this concept of foresight not only refers to God's future plans, it also includes the realization of those plans. Thus, our understanding of the concept of providence must include God's omnipotence, Him being all-powerful. God's omniscience, God being all-knowing. And lastly, God's sovereignty, meaning He is in full control over all things. Now here's the problem when it comes to understanding God's providence in light of uncertainty. While we may believe that God's plans for us are for our good eventually, Romans 8.28, we love to quote that, right? we have absolutely no idea what will happen between now and the realization of that plan. God has promised how it will end up for all of us, but he does not tell us what specific experiences we will encounter along the way. And so as we go through uncertainties in life, our finite minds will not be able to grasp or figure out how things will work Toward our ultimate good. So, in verse 11, while Jesus assured Paul that he will eventually testify in Rome, Jesus did not tell Paul what he will go through until he reaches Rome. The same thing holds true for all of us who believe. All we need to do is to exercise our faith and count on God's providence and faithfulness. I have been attending Calvary since 2006 and uh, has served on the staff, would you believe, it's already a little bit over six years now. You know, the more I think about how uh, things took shape where we are now, despite all the uncertainties we've gone through, the more I realize that God has a good plan for this church, for Calvary. And I could count on his providence to see us through it. 2020 has been a year of so much uncertainty for Calvary as a church. And so what I did was I wrote here a list of what happened in 2020 to make sure I don't miss anything. Here's what's on the list. Pastor Rolando resigns in February. Uncertainty about our Spanish language ministry. COVID-19 hit us in March. We stopped worshiping in person here March 22nd. We began live streaming the same month. After the first quarter, our giving goes down and the funds went really low. Staff employment status hanged in the balance. Uh, We applied and got our PPP loan. Alma Escobar, who is our ministry assistant, the ministry assistant that Pastor Julio and I shared, resigned in July. Pastor Marcus resigned in August. What's going to happen to our youth ministry? Uncertainty. We went back live here in October 18 for in-person worship with, of course, social distancing, and then in December, giving was exceptional and we ended up the year $200,000 plus in the black for total giving and spending. That means we've spent $200,000 less than what came in. And because of that surplus budget, we were able to do the following. Listen to this, pay off the principal balance of our student center renovations loan before the interest-only grace period ends this March. Add another 50,000 to our emergency contingency fund, doubling the amount of our reserves. Our budget revolving funds also increased by an additional $50,000. Need I say, we have a newly constructed connecting point and we can't wait to welcome our guests there and to connect them to Calvary? Need I say, next month, our solar panel project could start saving us substantial sums of money? Need I say, we have baptized nine new believers and we have 14 new members who joined despite the pandemic. And we just baptized another one today. Need I say, we continue to have newcomers in our live events almost every Sunday and we continue to reach out to them. Even as members of this church also started attending other churches. Need I say, ABFs continued to meet online and in person. Technology has kept us connected. Need I say, we now have two new daughter churches, mission churches. The one in Donna and the other one in Reynosa that just opened recently. Pastor Julio announced that, I believe, a month ago. All this and more, despite the uncertainty brought about, by COVID-19. Church, here is my confidence. No matter who leaves, no matter who stays, no matter who comes, and no matter who goes, for as long as Calvary remains true to the great commandment, which is to love God above all else and love people, and for as long as Calvary remains true to the great commission, which is to make disciple-makers, God will continue to use every uncertainty as his opportunity to reveal his providence and sustain this church for his glory. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. I'd like to think of uncertainty as one of God's favorite scenarios. Uncertainty, as we see, has always been God's opportunity. Now, there's another aspect to uncertainty that I saw in the passage, which brings me to my second point. Uncertainty reveals insecurity. A couple of weeks ago, as I was in a Zoom meeting with the preaching team, I asked the question, what is it with uncertainty that we struggle with? Well, immediately one of the pastors blurted out. We love to be in control. So when uncertainty strikes, we feel like we're losing control over things. How true is that? Another one answered, well, we struggle with uncertainty because of the greater possibility that the worst thing could happen next and we don't like that, right? But think about it for a moment, church. Are we really in total control of the things we think we are in control? We are to some degree in control of things that go on in our lives, but we are not totally in control with what the results will be on the decisions we make day in and day out. If you add uncertainty to that scenario, you will realize the reality that we're not really in full control. This leads to a sense of insecurity that causes stress, anxiety, and fear. And when that insecurity starts weighing in heavily on us, the natural tendency or reaction is self-preservation. And this is true in terms of our finances, our careers, our health, our relationships. And yes even our religious beliefs. Let's jump right back to our passage as I read to you where I found that reality. It's in verse 12 to 15. It reads, The next morning, some of the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath, not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. Now because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul has been proclaiming, the Jews who were zealous for their beliefs saw it as a threat to their established Religious institution. The gospel was graining grounds at this point, and so it becomes a threat in their own eyes. All of a sudden, the uncertainty presents a possibility of them losing their positions of influence in Judaism. Uncertainty has now become, or revealed rather, their insecurity. And so, what do they do? They plan on killing Paul as a way of self preservation. I believe the same applies to mankind. Our default reaction to uncertainty would usually be self-preservation. Now, here's a one minute clip of a true to life story from the movie, Sully. If you recall, it was the emergency landing of a commercial plane in Hudson River way back 2009 and the captain was uh, captain Sullenberger. Play the clip, please. I don't think we can make any runway. Uh, what about over to our right? Anything in New Jersey, maybe Teterboro? Okay, yeah. off the right side is Teterboro Airport. The LaGuardia departure. Got emergency inbound. This is Teterboro Tower. Go ahead. Uh, Cactus 1549 of the GW Bridge. needs to go to the airport right now. Check. do so you need assistance? Yes, bird strike. Can I get him in for runway one? Cactus 1549, we'll try and go to Teterboro. Obstacle, 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 Hold, up. Clear of conflict. No reload after 30 seconds in your master one and two. Confirm off. Off. Wait 30 seconds. Too low. Terrain. Too low. Terrain. Too low. This is the captain. Brace for impact. Brace for impact. You know what happened in the story, right? Everyone was rescued. And then after everyone was rescued, one of the flight attendants was interviewed and asked the question, what was everyone doing in the plane while it went down or as it went down? Did you know her, what her answer was? Anybody? Yes everyone was praying. How do you think that happened? Does anyone here think that the captain announced or told everyone, this is your captain speaking, start praying? No, he did not. No one told them that they should pray. They just did it instinctively. You see, in times of extreme uncertainty, we do things instinctively. And in this case, well, There's this conviction or there's this uh, uh, urgency that there is somebody out there, a higher power, who can call the shots and is in control of all things. When uncertainty reveals our insecurity, we definitely want to know how to best respond. So how do you react to uncertainty? Do you panic or do you become anxious about the many possibilities that could happen next? What insecurities do you discover about yourself when faced with uncertainty? Do you become impulsive? Or do you pause to see God's face in the situation? Now, while it's true that uncertainty can reveal our fears and insecurity, it can likewise create opportunities for faith. Yes, great faith. You see, it's not that the situation is that much different. I believe it's our response that makes all the difference. Now with that said, I will proceed to my final point. Uncertainty is a faith opportunity. If uncertainty is God's opportunity to reveal himself, it is likewise an opportunity for us to exercise our faith in him. As believers, we've heard so many things about faith, the word faith. I'd like to offer a brief perspective in answer to the question, what is faith? Or to be more specific, like I said earlier, what is biblical faith? Before I answer that, let me begin by presenting a couple of notions about faith in evangelical circles that I consider questionable and even faulty to some extent. So perhaps some of you may have heard the name it and claim it type of faith that teaches if you have enough faith and if you pray hard enough and can muster enough faith, God will answer your prayers. Now, I'm not sure how the proponents of this teaching of faith came up with this, but I suspect it might have stemmed from a misunderstanding of the gospel story when Jesus said to the woman who had been bleeding for so many years, remember he healed him? In Matthew 9:22, Jesus said to the woman, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, they must have misunderstood that her faith healed her, not the object of her faith which is, or who is, Jesus Christ. Now this kind of teaching on faith could be very misleading. You also may have encountered a notion about faith that exhibits a come what may, um, non-caring attitude. It teaches a form of determinism with adherence to the the saying, whatever will be, will be. Que sera sera in Spanish, if you speak Spanish. Now this understanding leaves Little or no room for free will and cultivates an attitude of indifference because everything else according to this type of teaching is or has been predestined. Thus, there's really no sense in praying or sharing the gospel to someone regardless of what we do. He or she, if she's predestined to be saved, then she will be saved even if we don't share the gospel. And I'm sure it's obvious to you what's wrong with that type of faith or understanding of faith. It encourages inaction and indifference on the part of the believer who is given the task of the Great Commission. And so, what is biblical faith? Let's go back to our passage and see what Paul does amidst all the uncertainty and flow of events happening here. It's in verses 16 to 22. It reads this way. But when the son of Paul's sister heard this plot, of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. And then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, set for me and ask me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, What is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting to ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. What did Paul do, given the situation? Did you notice that he acted in faith accordingly and in line with what Jesus told him? Paul did not miss the opportunity of letting the commander know that there was a plot to kill him. He takes advantage of the providential happenstance of his nephew learning about the plan. He gave his nephew instructions that resulted later on in his favor and his protection. So what do you think are the odds that his nephew would learn about this plot? Pretty slim, I believe. I wouldn't dare call it a coincidence that his nephew was there at the right time and at the right moment and overheard everything, or snooping. It was providential and Paul acted on it accordingly. What does this tell us about biblical faith? The story tells us that for as long as we are in line with God's will in proclaiming the good news, we need to continue to act and respond accordingly to every providential situation that arises. In other words, if we have been praying for someone's salvation, then we also need to act on it by sharing the gospel to that person when the opportunity comes, regardless of what the response that person will make. If you're sick and you're praying for physical healing, follow your doctor's orders. Drink your medications. Biblical faith has a practical side to it. There's a good story in the Old Testament that I believe is all-encompassing when it comes to understanding biblical faith. It is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who will not worship the image set up by King Nebuchadnezzar as God. So I'd like for you to take note of their response as they were about to be thrown into that fiery furnace as punishment. Daniel 3, 15 to 18 reads, This was Nebuchadnezzar. But if you do not worship it, he said, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, It's all in verse 17 and 18. Biblical faith believes that God can and is able to do the impossible for us. But even if he does not, we will remain faithful to him. This, I believe, is the simplest yet most comprehensive way of understanding what true biblical faith is. We are to act according to his will, but even if the results don't come up the way we wish they would, we are still secure about the ultimate victory that awaits us for those who love him. Church 2020 has been a roller coaster ride for me, and I just want to share with you things that happened in my life during that time, last year. My son contracted the virus early on at the time that we still don't know much about it. My eldest daughter's destination wedding was canceled or was postponed, rather. My youngest daughter's acceptance to med school was delayed. And just before Christmas, just before Christmas last year, my mom calls me to confirm that she has cancer of the liver and the doctors told her that she has one-third of a chance to make it five more years. And you know, I told God... I'm not ready to lose her. This is perhaps one of my biggest struggles. Who's ready to lose a loved one? Nobody, right? So I called her sometime around January and she was in good spirits and she told me this. Don't worry about me because Jesus will take care of me no matter what happens because we believe in him. Here I am, a pastor now, who prayed 18 years for her salvation and she got saved long time ago before I migrated here or we migrated here. Learning or being reminded on a lesson about faith from my mom. One of the best things about our faith, church, is that we have conquered the fear of death, which is a certainty because we know where our true home is. I'd like to close by reading to you what Paul wrote in the Philippian church while he was in prison. Biblical scholars say he wrote this either in Caesarea or in Rome. Listen closely to what he wrote. Philippians chapter 1, 21 to 26. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Here is a man who has injured so much uncertainty and suffering, and yet he knows that if his time has not yet come, he needs to go on and still be part of God's plan and purpose for his life. What do you think kept Paul going? It is the title of our sermon. I believe it is the certainty that one day he is homeward bound. Shall we bow down our heads? I'm not sure how God spoke to you through this message, but if you listened and you're watching us today and if you're here and you're not certain about your destiny after life or your eternal destiny or you're still an unbeliever, I want to tell you this It's not a coincidence that you heard this message today. God is speaking to you and he is inviting you to accept his offer of salvation and love through his son, Jesus Christ. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is offering you his salvation through his son, and it is for you to accept. If that is something you wish to accept now as you are listening, this is the appointed time. I invite you to pray with me this prayer. God Almighty, forgive me for my sins. I have sinned against you. I am still uncertain as to where I'm going after this life. And so, God, as you forgive me, Lord, I accept. Your offer of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins and rose again to conquer the grave. I surrender to you my life now, and I accept him to come into my life as my Lord and Savior. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Friends, or anybody who prayed that prayer, let us know. We would be glad to take you to the next steps.